Welcome to this special edition episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Doing your job, being a, being a good communicator, creating a good culture and creating a good environment where your athletes and people work that your athletes want to thrive in and be successful in, and also being somebody that your person, that the people you work with want to be around as well. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we have another Gatorade Performance Partner Collaboration episode. We're joined back with co-host John Jost. John, welcome back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Always enjoyed the uh, podcast. We've done this a few times now, and uh, our guest today, we have Brian Dew back with us, coming from the Northeast. Brian, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Like talking to you guys. And Marquise Johnson, the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I know you're joining us. It's the middle of the season, so appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Look forward to it. Let's do it. Yeah. So today, we are talking about defining the strength coach career. Uh, what does that mean? We want to get to what does success look like in this profession? How do we define success as strength and conditioning professionals? Brian, why don't you kick this thing off? Uh, how do you look at success as a strength and conditioning coach? So I, I look at it a couple of different ways. First off and foremost, I think success is defined by how your peers and the athletes or the people you work with view you. I think that is the big indicator of how good or how well you do your job or how how well you can communicate what you're trying to get across. Um, I know that people think like, you know, you, you win a championship, that's obviously success, but if people don't respect you or people in the field don't look to you as somebody they can talk to, someone that they can learn from, or even someone that you can reach out to and, and out there, then I think that to me is, a, is really a big misstep. And then obviously the athletes, if they don't look at you like they can call you at any point or if they don't look at you like, Hey man, this guy's got my back. This guy knows, knows what he's talking about. Or, you know, if you get threatened by other outside trainers and stuff, like that person, but Hey, I'm seeing somebody else during the summer. Great. Let's talk with him. Let's get it. Let's get it figured out. They look at you as an ally versus an enemy or, you know, and I think that to me defines your, my career at least. And uh, I think in our field. That's awesome. Yeah. What I'm hearing is being approachable is an important part of really your reputation, your how you're perceived by the athletes you're working with. Marquise, what do you think, man? How do you define success in this field? I find success in this field very similar to what uh, Brian said. I think that Ozzy, like you said, like wins and losses, you know, let's, let's, let's keep that out there. Like you gotta, you got your teams have to win, but also being a good person, doing your job, being a, being a good communicator, creating a good culture and creating a good environment where your athletes and people work that your athletes want to thrive in and be successful in and also being somebody that your person that the people you work with want to be around as well. So I definitely find success is just doing your job, no matter what level that is, whether you're the intern, assistant, the head guy, whatever it is, doing your job, being on time, coming with a good attitude every day, that is being successful. Just come with a good attitude every day, come with a, a program that fit the needs of your athletes and just doing what's asking you to do on a daily basis. I love that. I think that's so important. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're all very, very competitive, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten involved with uh, with athletics as uh, part of our profession. And, and uh, um, no question, you want to win. No question. And I, for me, I don't care if that's at a high school level, 
all the way up to the professional level. That's a very important part of what we do. But, you know, it's interesting when I think about this question, uh, when I left Nebraska, you know, where we won a lot and went to Holy Cross as my first year as a head strength coach, uh, my first year, we, we only won one game. And when I look back on that time, uh, you know, there was somebody that had a severe uh, broken leg and, you know, there was success and that uh, he, he came back from a severe break to where he was able to walk and run and jump and then get back on the field and play. So you can have success in, at, you know, even, even when you don't get the wins that you want. And there are, you know, a, a few other people that during that year um, decided they wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. And now they're leaders in the profession. So I think it's really important to, to look at, you know, all the different levels, um, you know, the team level, the individual level, the and, and how you're making a difference and whom you're making a difference with, because, you uh, you know, it's very easy to uh, be in the middle of the season where you're not having a year like the Vikings are having now. Let's face it, not everybody can have that kind of year. <laughs> and you can still have wins. Uh, you can still have success. So, Marquise, you, you said some really, really valuable things there. I think it's super important. Um, um, Brian, did you want to yeah, chime I'll in? I did. I did want to chime in. I, I, I can tell. Those. I can he, tell. He yeah, in. you're chopping there. That's something you want to add. Some wisdom you wanted to bring to us. Well, I think it's only. And if you knew what I'm about to say, you'd not let me chime in because what I'd say is defining <laughs> success would be John Jost. Because not only do you impact the people around you, but you create a tree, right? We always look at the tree of coaches, the tree of where they go. And if you look at John Joseph's record of trees, he's got many branches in many states. I've got like one little limb, like the Christmas tree from Charlie Brown. And John's over there, like the great, the sequoia oh. trees out here, you know, your time in Florida State. I mean, that's all I hear in, not from you, of course, but just from all my friends. It's just like, anytime we bring your name up, it's only positive, influential things that you've done for us. So that's where I think divine success. I think wow. you did, I think you hit hit something on the head, Coach Joe's when you we talked about like with your athletes because I think a lot of time in this profession, too many times strength coaches or try to be more relatable to coaches and not their athletes, and they try to treat their athletes like less than. And that and I, and I don't agree with that at all. Um, I've been fortunate enough to coach at high school, college, and pro, and the athletes have to be number one. And then success for me is when those athletes, like you just said, like I have a couple of kids that I coached in high school in Port Arthur, Texas, which was a very excellent job for me. And those kids are awesome. And now they're grown men now. And now some of them coaching a position, some of a couple of guys are strength coaches or when athletes, but position sport athletes. I know like several of my first job at Eastern Michigan, a lot of female basketball players I coach or some of the guys I coach, several athletes, they coach their kids, they coach in little league teams, and they hit you up asking for workout. Hey, coach, what's that workout plan we did way back when? Those are big-time success for me that made me feel some type of way. Wow. Yeah. That, that's it right there. That's like when when an athlete reaches out to you and thinks of something that you might not even be thinking about anymore. You know, it's like you think it's gone, but they bring that back. Hey, you did this. What was that thing that we did? I want to – I want to try that with my team or, uh, you know, with my, with my son or my daughter, like that is powerful or, Oh, you always really cared about this. We really appreciate that. They, 
when an athlete reaches back out, especially after years, like that is powerful stuff. Uh, Marquise, you mentioned your background, you know, high school, college. Now you're working the NFL. You know, what was your game plan getting into this? Like, what were your goals? How, what, what led you down this path? Man, I pray and I live. So, like, my first job, man, I have – my, my story's a little different. So, I, I rode pedicab bikes, and my first job was at Eastern Michigan. But how I got to the NFL, I rode pedicab bikes in college. So, like, if you have been to any major stadium venue – and I'm from Houston, Texas – uh, play play football at Prairie View and University. Played tight end my first year. Did my last two. And on my side job, I was riding bike taxis, like pedaling people to and from stadiums and arenas and things of that nature. So after I got my first job at Eastern Michigan, within like a couple of weeks, I was working an Astro game or one or some some downtown event. And I met a guy named Ray Wright. He just hops on the back of my bike one day, and I'm taking him to his car, and we strike up a conversation. And I was like, hey, man, I just – and he was – I was like, hey, I just – I'm a player preview. He knew my head coach. He's like, hey, I'm the strength coach for the Texans. I didn't even know who he, who he was or nothing. He was just a random stranger to me. And I was trying to get a tip, take this man to his car. But he he left me he left me his number, and we stayed in touch. So I would go – when I would come home on the weekends, because my school was probably about an hour and 20 minutes. I went, I went 30 minutes, something like that, outside of the city. But I would come back to Houston, and I would go watch the Texans work out. And that was my first kind of introduction in professional professional coaches. Now, through that, I go on to work at Eastern Michigan as a grad assistant. My first two – for about a year and a half, then I got involved, had my own teams. I was obviously assistant with football at a smaller school. And then we all – I was the men's and women's basketball strength coach, worked with rowing, you name the team, all that. I went, went from GA to assistant to the interim head guy there. Then I went back to – I got my master's in the K-12 administration, higher administration, and athletics. From there, I went back to Texas and worked at three different high schools. Uh, I'm not going to short changes on the name, Galena Park, because I know if somebody listens to this, they probably want me to represent them, and I, and I, will, and I don't mind. Galena Park, uh, Beaumont Westbrook, and Port Arthur Moyer, where I was the head strength coach at all three, and also coached a defensive football position. And also in, uh, in Port Arthur, I was a girls powerlifting coach. That was probably the most – that probably was the most direct related from strength and conditioning, your programming, to success that I ever seen. You know what I mean? Because in the in the field of play, you can have play calls and things of that nature, and a bunch of other. But that, but 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 your program as a strength coach, as a powerlifting coach, was a direct correlation of success. Did they hit that squat number or that deadlift number? They bench number? Did it? Did they do it or not? And we had a lot of success. Sent a lot of girls to state, and I also helped out with the guys programming. And that was a great experience for me. And um, from there, I leave. I go leave Port Arthur, and I went to University of Tennessee for a year. Then I went to the Niners for two years to U of H for a year, in the XFL while that last coach took it down, went back to high school at Westfield High School. It was a great experience coaching D-line and head strength there. And then I went to Jackson State, and I'm here with the Vikings. Loving it. Been a great journey, but it's a lot of that. But the NFL, but, so I had, back to the bike job, I worked for Ray <laughs> Wright, the guy that hired me on the, off the pedicab. I met him 12 years ago. He hired me in San Francisco, and then I worked for him again in the XFL. Oh, that's so cool! Awesome. Wow, what a great, what a great career path. That's so awesome, man. Yeah, I, I man, the the bike taxi. I um, so we had Lacey Jan on the podcast a while back, and she actually applied for a lifeguard job, and then got hired on as a strength coach, and she's working with uh, the Marine Corps right now. And uh, 
my first job where I actually saw strength and conditioning, I was a parking attendant. So I think it is not, that might be a whole other podcast there, like the side jobs that lead us down this, down this path. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's so cool. Brian, you, yeah. uh, you're in the private sector now. Yeah. You have a long track or track record in the NBA. You know, would you say, you know, would you say your goals have changed for, you know, the way you look at the field now, just based on the new setting you're in? You know, I, I don't, I, I, I think, I think what people don't realize is that private sector is not much different than the pro sector. The, the, the amount of um, people that I train that are type A personality that are ex athletes that just are like, Hey, I want to be safe. Hey, I want to make myself feel better. Hey, you know what? I've got this 5k motor run. You know what? I just crushed that 5k. I'm going up to this master's track team. I have a guy that I trained for swimming that just finished second in the world in breaststroke. Who knew? Who even knew that was a thing? Right. You know? And so like it, for me, I'll, even with my, like, even with some of the people, the general population, it's, it's all goal accomplishment, right? It's all feeling better. It's all how to make my life mean more. And also like the quality of life better. And so I think that's the same thing with sports is how the quality of my time in the NBA, in the NHL, whatever it was, how is that better? And how can I just perform at the highest level? And all these people want to do that. Um, so I don't think it's much different in that sense, but obviously the time commitment is much less so I can raise a family and that's super valuable and important to me. Um, but yeah, in, in general, I, I think the my desire to just make everyone better and make them understand I think for me, uh, like Marquis said, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher by nature. And so I want people to understand what they're doing. I don't want them just to listen to commands. Um, you know, anyone can bark at a dog, but like you can understand the dog to do what it wants or even a human, you know, obviously that's the, that's the value is that, that they know when they're taking to their friends, they're taking to their kids, you know, they're going to be like, oh yeah, no, let's not follow those Instagram videos. Let's do this instead. Let's listen to that podcast and, <laughs> and really get the information so we can digest what they're really saying. So I think that for me is the uh, bringing it every day to any wherever I am is always going to be the case. Um, but, you know, working with New Balance a little bit and being able to work on shoe stuff and that impacting athletes, to me, that's like I said, that's another thing that, again, comes back down to my experience being able to apply that and be like, oh, that's not realistic for a shoe. Like, who's going to do that? You know, and so I think that's I think it's been really enjoyable outside of it. Um, I definitely miss some things of it, but the time away is definitely not one thing I miss. Brian and Marquise, this question is for both of you. What advice would you have for the younger practitioners uh, that are trying to uh, get into in, into strength and conditioning? And, and how would you, uh, what advice would you give to, to them as they look towards their uh, career path and their future? But Brian, let's start with you. Okay, I was gonna let Marquise go. Um, I think I think Marquise, when he was talking about his experience, I think that's a huge part, like just being ready to grind. I think uh, what people don't understand is strength coaches or even, you know, trainers or whatever you're going to do, the hours are not short. <laughs> it's an hourly thing. It's an in-person, I'm in your face kind of thing. And so you're, you're going to find wee hours in the morning. You're going to find late nights. You're going to find you're not your traditional time. You're going to try to meet up with your friends, but you're not going to be able to because those, that time's when most people are doing their thing. Um, so just be ready for that. But what I'd also say, though, to, to, to people is this is create your own luck. OK, so like people are like, oh, he got lucky, you know, like you know, Marquise got lucky, he got with the Vikings. No, no, he didn't. 
He grinded through, I don't know how many jobs you did there, but he grinded through everything and probably got the smile on his face every time. And every person was like, how do I not hire this guy? How do I not hire this guy and bring him into my culture, into my family? And so I say, create your own, create your own luck. You know, I was in a, I worked at Harvard Business School, running the wellness program there. And one of the things I, I used to go to the classes, it was awesome. Like, you know, you're in here with these, you know, uber smart people and you're just like, and then the, the professor that I was trained at the time, she called me and said, hey, Brian, what do you think of this? Do you believe in luck? And I said, yeah, be honest, I don't really believe in luck. I said, I believe you create your own luck. I said, you know, she's like, well, you mean you got this job here? And I was like, exactly. I'm taking this class only because I started training you. Not that I intended to take this class, but just I'm able to do it because of this. And like, if I get a job at a Fortune 500 company, it might not be the one that I wanted, but it might be another one that leads to something better than I thought. And so, yeah, you can get, you can consider it lucky, but all I think is if you work hard, you do the right thing and you're passionate about it, then you will have more luck opportunities that just fall into place. So that's how I view yeah, it. That's great advice. Good I advice. love that. Marquise, what about yourself? Uh, advice for the younger practitioners. The advice I have young practitioners, be on time. You get an opportunity, be on time, be ready to work. And I always say like L and D. That's that for listen and do. I think a lot of times and I feel like it's a lot of it's a lot of knowledge out there. There's a lot of smart people. And a lot of sometimes a younger strength coach can come in there with all these ideas, but that's necessarily not your role when you walk into a building. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever whatever's asking you, whether that's picking up towels, setting up the weight room, whatever it may be, you're not gonna all oh, just because you have your certifications or whatnot, you're not gonna walk in there running the show day one. So I think that's a big myth, what I've seen in younger strength coaches and uh, like interns and people just starting out. And be able just to work, just listen and do. Listen to the people above you and do what they tell you to do and show up on time and don't worry about when you're leaving because you just, just work and to do it. Just get there on time, be ready to stay late and handle everything else in between. Just listen and do. Not I didn't, I didn't say think, just listen <laughs> and do. Just, that's just my opinion on that because that was the approach that I had. And if you got to work, and then I don't mind talking about this, the money's not necessarily going to always be there, in my opinion. Like if your condition is not a field, what you're going to hop into, what you're going to see overnight, financial gains, it's just not there. I haven't seen it. If y'all have, correct me if I'm wrong. So, <laughs> Definitely I'm, not. I'm just I'm just being honest. So like I, And I don't mind telling my story. Like when I, when I took a job at the 49ers, I wasn't getting paid. Basically, basically enough money to live in the Bay. But I took it because it was a great opportunity. I wanted to work in the NFL, and I do whatever I had to take. Like I'm giving you advice. I took my own advice on that. I had to do whatever it took. I got off that plane. I'll be. I won't lie. I go back to the bike job. I saw those pedicabs out there. I realized I can subsidize my income, and I work days with the Niners. I get off. I go hop on the pedicabs, and then I keep it rolling. And I show up the next day. Just take off that pedicab T-shirt. And put on their 49ers t-shirt and kept coaching those guys in the NFL like it was nothing because that's something that I wanted to do. But uh shout out to Long Star Pedicabs, my man Nate Travis. I think Houston knows my guy. They yes. always do that for me because without them, I always I always have to show love to those two guys because they they always save the bike for me. Who knows if that night wouldn't have changed my life when I met my man Ray and the rest is history. But to a younger strength coach, just listen and do, show up on time and grind. I can't wait till they retire that pedicab. I'm coming to watch that ceremony. <laughs> nice. Like you said, like Marquis said, like I was in the NBA, I was a head strength coach, but I had my own business on the side. So I'd have, I'd be in LA 
and I was Zooming like 12 years ago. I'd be in LA. I have a 6 a.m. appointment in Boston. I get up at 3 a.m. Hey, what's up, guys? We ready to go? Let's go. I get off a plane 2.33 a.m. I'm in I'm in a town like 30 minutes from my house by 5 a.m. So I didn't even go to bed. I just, hey, I'm here. Let's go. Let's roll. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to subsidize your income because it's not always the best because that's what we want to do to raise a family. And so I needed more money. So was that, amen, Marquis. Brian, was that really what inspired you to start your business was the financial strain of just the profession or were there other factors? No, it's funny you say that because uh, I think it was, I actually didn't know if you knew this, but I actually had my business about five years before I worked in the MBA. So um, the, the thing about it was the reason I kept it is because I didn't ever want to leave the people that I had, right? Like you find a great, um, you get friendships, you great, you get relationships and those things you don't want to, I, I didn't want, I don't take them lightly. And so just because I don't, this guy is not dunking a basketball doesn't mean that my guy who had the cardiac rehab, you know, that I worked with, that guy still has to live, right? And knowing that he is not going to make it one day is devastating. Like he's got to, like one of the guys I have now has dementia now and all this stuff. And it's, so it's just like watching this whole thing happen has been painful, but it's been a pleasure being with this, with these people and just going with the journey and knowing that I've increased the value of their life and their family. So I've always had that business. I've always been a grinder by nature. John will let you know that, you know, I can't ever let opportunities go. Uh, and I never want to, and I say this to people all the time. And I've said this since day one. I never want to give anyone an excuse not to work out. Like there's so many excuses to not work out. So, you know what? I'll be there 2 a.m. I mean, I'll be there at 3 a.m. Like I used to work with the players one in the morning because sometimes that's what worked, worked, worked for us, you know? And, and so it's, it's, there's, it's just, you do what you do and, you love it so much, it doesn't really matter. Like, just, I don't know, you just do it. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's so amazing that and, and refreshing that uh, that the advice and recommendations that both Marquise and Brian are giving is, you know, they're basics, right? They're the fundamentals that anybody and everybody can do. Show up on time, listen, work hard. Don't let your athletes outwork you, you be, you know, um, just be a good person. And it, it, it's, uh, you know, I've always believed that if you work really hard, do your best, treat people with respect, uh, that things work out, right? Like, uh, more often than not, you, you are, you end up in a position that you never thought that you would have an opportunity to be in. And, uh, it, it uh, I, I do, quick story that, that, uh, you know, I had the, the fortune of being able to work with coach Bowden and I would many times show up at five, five thirty in the morning, um, about the same time that he was showing up and a custodian would be from the night shift would be leaving the building and coach Bowden knew him by name, knew his family would hold the door open for him, stop and talk to him. And it's, it's what an amazing lesson, right? Of how important it is, no matter who you're speaking with and to, to treat people with kindness. And um, it, it, I, I just think that that's uh, such a big part of success. I think that when you said that with Coach Biden, how they treated that janitor, that's interesting, interesting situation because a lot of time in our profession to come up or whatnot, people try to treat certain people in a certain level yeah. Well, different way than other people. So, like, they might not treat the janitor a certain way, but they might see the head coach and treat him a certain way or somebody else. 
So in my situation, you never know who you're gonna meet and when you're gonna meet them. And like, so like I know it's some interns or some some underpaid. I know it's some people just like myself and Brian out there coaching that you might be working at a coffee shop, restaurant. Just use that as almost like interview skills. That's why I took, that's why I looked at the pedicab bike. Like if, anytime I'm around people, I never know who I'm gonna meet and when I'm gonna meet them. So like I try to be presentable, watch my language, stuff like that, and just be able to talk. Cause if you see somebody like Coach Bow open up doors for people, that goes a long way. But what if you like disrespecting somebody? That could be your next blessing to your next big job. Yeah. Very true. Finish, I always say finish the conversation, right? Don't look past that conversation. Just finish it. I see too many young kids now. They're like, oh yeah, what do you oh yeah, I know who you are? Oh, okay. Uh oh wait, there's another guy I see, and he's got more followers than you. It's like, okay, cool. Guess what, though? I can, I can open more doors for you, but you know what? You missed it. <laughs> so finish that conversation. You know, I think sometimes in this profession, or really any profession, we think about, you know, we're, we're going to start with some smaller opportunities, and they're going to lead us to bigger opportunities, and we have this vision of how that might be. I'm working with high school or college, and next thing you know, I'm in the pros. But Marquise, when you talked about going back and working in high school, you were excited about that. Like that was awesome experience for you to be able to do that. And you, the way you mentioned it, it was like the same level of enthusiasm that you have towards really even driving the the, the pedicab and, and working in the NFL. And it goes to what Brian was saying of just having the right attitude uh, across all areas of your life, no matter who you're working with and not and not creating really a false persona around the position you have, just being authentic as a coach. And that's such a valuable takeaway that I'm, I feel like I keep going back to it. I'm, I'm writing the same notes down over and over again, but, you know, things you mentioned, Brian, you know, you mentioned you get the opportunity to do some cool things with New Balance or with the Harvard Business School. You know, those opportunities came from other opportunities. And those are pretty untraditional for most strength coaches. Maybe don't fall into those scenarios, but you could, you know, and, and that's just a really, I think it's really good for people to hear just, it's not just, I'm going to start here and then I'm going to be a head strength coach and that's the end. There's so much more to it than that. Working in the private sector, going back, working in high school. Uh, I, you know, I think that is, um, that's a big takeaway for this episode. I want to ask you guys about some challenges you guys have had in your career. We talked a little bit about the money and the financial strain of strength and conditioning, but Marquise, let's kick this off for you. What have been some of the most challenging parts of this profession for you? Uh, I know you had a lot of stops along the way. What do you got? Sometimes my challenge is working with people that believe in disrespecting players for no reason. I'd say that's probably my biggest challenge, working with coaches that are – not they, that are yellers, cussers, and screamers that are not teaching. Those has been my biggest challenges in dealing with that sometimes as an assistant has been just a little difficult because because and then when you're on the staff and you're the odd man out on the staff, when you that you're if you have a staff, a group of people that already been together, then you're then I come in and I don't fit the mold of those other guys. And I know me, that's tough for me to to maintain I'm gonna be who I am. And I'm not gonna disrespect players just because the group of I can I can be by myself and be okay with it. But sometimes that's just definitely been one of the biggest challenges. I haven't had a lot of challenges with with players at all. It's been just with different uh with coaches and how they treat players 
and different than I do. That's probably been my biggest challenge in this profession because the players and stuff I work with been a blessing from high school, college, pro. I I, I don't remember having hardly any run-ins, if any, with any player, but just different mindsets and different philosophies on how to treat people has been what been my biggest challenge. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, Marquise. And it's really sad that uh, there are so many coaches that uh, that confuse um, either hard coaching or being demanding and having very high expectations with disrespecting uh, players um, because there is no place for that. And there's there uh, there are definitely I've been in in the, a similar situation where the expectation was to yell and scream and and uh, swear and and that that's. You know that's not me, and there's no place for that. And uh, uh, you can you can definitely be have, have very high expectations without that. So I'm I'm glad that you shared that. I think that's uh, very very important. Brian, how about you? Jump in. What are some of the biggest challenges, roadblocks that you faced along the way? So I mean, I grew up in a different generation. John and I were probably the older generation where these coaches. Uh, looked at us as like, oh, you know, that's a thing that we don't really do here. And so, you know, you find some coaches that are really old school and, you know, and uh, I had a, I had a, not a run in, but I had a great conversation with a coach who I really respect. And, you know, he came in all blue eyed and like, yeah, let's, uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do a five mile run test. This is for the NBA. We're going to do a, yep. <laughs> we're going to do, uh, we're going to do as many put bench presses we can do. And he went through a litany of you know, stuff you would do at a college level. And, you know, like you said, hey, what, what do you think? And I said, I got to be honest, coach, I'm not trying to cause any issues, but I disagree 100% with what you're preaching. <laughs> I said, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. I'll back you 100% and I'll do it. But I'll tell you what, those players are going to be hurt. They're going to be less effective as basketball players. And you're going to have a lot of people complaining. And here's why. And I you know, went through it and just discussed it with him. He, it was great. The guy, I, I really respect this guy. So we had a conversation. We end up not doing it. We did an interval um max max test and then we did some uh you know different kind of you know med ball power throw and that kind of stuff and so we did some different tests but he was he was actually open to listen but there are other coaches that weren't open to listening i had a coach tell me that you don't backpedal in basketball and i should never do backpedaling in any of my exercises or warm-ups and so we just said we, we agree to disagree and honestly, that's my marquis i'm serious about that too though that's a yeah. real talk well uh, go sorry. ahead go ahead yeah, uh, but I would I would say you know one of, one of the biggest things is when the front office starts getting involved and they start getting they get some salesmen in saying hey I got some new technology hey I got some new techniques you know here rub this oil on their temples and then we're gonna do this and he's gonna get stronger by seventeen percent and you're just like great <laughs> um, not not believing it no studies on it here's the research on it but uh, so you kind of get those challenges and then parents. Uh, even parents of NBA players, <laughs> you have parents that are just want to get involved and just want to say stuff. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you hold your ground, you know what you're talking about. You can, you just explain it, you know, and just take the time to explain it. You listen. I, I never don't listen, you know, cause I can definitely learn. Um, but I think those are some of the challenges I've definitely faced. I agree with that. Like, I think like, man, he, he nailed something on the head when he said like another coach and their philosophy or whatnot. I think, um, a challenge is definitely people standing in their own lane, respecting the strength coach for what they do, and you as in that position coach respecting for what they do. That's one thing. So, like, if I'm not going out on the field and teaching no techniques, 
and all that. I'm not doing that. So out of there, if I respect you with that, respect me from my realm of what we're doing down here in the weight room. You know what I mean? We can have conversations, but if you do have a problem, let's talk about it like like an like an adult, like like that, like the professionals that we are, so we can so we can just have an understanding. We might not agree, but we can have an understanding for where each and each each person comes from. And another thing I always talk about, like dealing with players, it, when it comes to that disrespect piece, is I like leaving players with a good experience with me, no matter they were 14 or 30, no matter no matter the age. Because when you're dealing with younger players, I'm not sure the the age or who's gonna listen to this podcast. So it's like you coaching high schools or whatnot. If we all had a high school coach, no matter that we all have one, we don't like. Let's just be real. Everybody <laughs> has. So, but just think about that time and that experience. When you when you were 14, you knew that was disrespect. You knew you was getting disrespected. By the time you turn 18, that kid's gonna become a grown man or a grown woman soon. And I want them to have experience. Now we can both leave our jobs, and no matter what. And we're gonna be if you disrespecting that person when they especially once they get 18, y'all both considered adults in our in, in our country. So you can both quit your job, y'all gonna be working together side by side. Would you talk to that person, disrespect that, that person the same way you would when you quote unquote coaching them as you are? Most people probably wouldn't. So I try to try to get that analogy to coaches when they coach your kids, when they especially when they start trying to undermine or just being flat. I'm not saying don't coach your kid hard, none of that. I'm just saying, just don't be disrespectful because you don't want nobody to disrespect you or your kid, cousin, or relative, something like that. Last one, last point to me is I think the other thing with the you know the, the coaches, assistant coaches stuff is everyone's trying to prove their worth, right? Because there's only a certain number of jobs in the NBA, only a certain number of jobs in the NFL, and so what happens is you got these coaching staffs of like 15, and there's only 15 players. And I, listen, I've got some great assistant coaches. I've been along with all my assistant coaches after after conversations. But the initial bite back of like, hey, I need him now because I'm trying to prove my worth. And I'm like, all right, well, I just know that he's not going to be on the court if he's going to see me. So I need my, is my worth. And so, you know, there's a constant battle that way. And so as long as you can have those communications uh, for the people listening with those coaches, instead of just like talking bad about him, just, that's like, just go straight to him. Be like, hey, look, we're both on the same thing. Maybe we can work together. Like I had an assistant coach, uh, Jaylor Nega, that we figured out that, hey, well, you know what? We're fighting for the same stuff. Why don't we work together? Why don't we do free game on the court with it together and then in, in the weight room with you prior to the game? And like, great. And then, you know, just work it out. So I think just everyone's trying to prove their worth and uh, and just keep their jobs in the, the amazing NBA. So, you know, we were talking about tech, we were talking about personality, kind of the rah rah yelling, strength coach, relationships, having respect for the people we work with. And it got me thinking, I want to ask all three of you guys, how, you know, how has the strength and conditioning role changed? You know, we all been this in this for a number of years. Coach Jost, let's kick this off with you. 27 years as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. I know you've seen a lot, uh, probably seen a bunch of uh, uh, staffs and, and programs evolve over the years. What changes have you seen? Wow. That's a really, really good question. Um, there are some things that uh, some of the fundamentals, um, I think you can really hang your hat on um, that haven't changed, uh, which I think is a good thing, right? Um, when you when you talk about um, you know progressive overload and um, improving speed and power and um, uh, you know, I, I, there are some some, principles that are embedded in science that that haven't changed 
which I think is really good. Um, but when I think about the, the, the other extreme of what has changed, uh, there, there definitely is a lot. And the two that I think come to mind the most is how everything now is monitored. You have so much technology and you really need to determine, you know, what, what's, what's valuable to monitor. And it's very easy to get, you know, paralysis by analysis, right? You want to monitor everything. And that kind of leads me to where, what I'm going to say is the, the sports science and, uh, and collaboration. Um, I think there is, um, and, and there's still resistance some places, but um, if you take a look at the programs that do things really, really well, and um, I'm going to, you know, we, we have Marquise on the, on uh, here with us. We're fortunate enough to have uh, a team that is really successful right now. They're having a great season and I know a little bit about what they do. And there's a lot of collaboration between the, um, the sports dietitian and strength conditioning and sports medicine and sports science and what they're monitoring and how they're uh, um, adapting to that data. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the collaboration and working together um, as a sports performance group is one of the things that did not take place or was very, very rare. At least I didn't see it um, when I started in the late eighties. So um, Marquise, I'm going to kick it to you. I don't know if you're going to back me up on that or if you have a different I, point of view, but I think, uh, I think I'll kick it to I you. Think, I think you're hundred percent right, especially how we're doing things here. Um, I think that uh, we do a good job with science wise. And I think our head coach does a good job, uh, reiterating the message. Like it goes it, from the top down, you know, like if, if he has buy-in then then, you know, Josh does a great job and Tyler does a great job and keys and myself and, Dan, I sports science does a great job getting the information. But the biggest thing I, I feel like with the sports science piece is people realizing how to apply it and how to have a conversation with a sports coach. So instead of doing work that takes a bunch of hours and hours and hours and nobody looking at it, that's a tough draw, you know? So, but you got to also like whoever, whatever sport it may be, like Brian was in basketball, I'm in football, I work with other sports and um, I work with coaches that they, they just flat out don't listen to it. And I, I work with coaches sometimes don't listen to the sports science piece because they try, but I think people from our realm, like he, like Brian made a great point. Everybody's trying to show their work. That's a, that's a great point. So people try to make these stuff long drawn out. But if you understand the demands of the game and understand how to get your point across as quickly as possible so that person can get back to doing something that they know, I think you have a better buy-in to it instead of having sometimes some long drawn out deal. It's almost like I, I'll, I'll bring his name up. I had to sell sports signs one time to Deion Sanders when I was at Jackson State, and it was pretty awesome. So, so like I come in there and I have this big old packet, and this assistant she'd say, she's like, baby, she's like, probably not gonna read all that. And so <laughs> I was like, and I was like, I was like, and I'm literally finna walk into this man's office like five seconds. So I was like, man, I gotta come with it. So I sold it to him almost like an Instagram video, like within a minute or less. Now, see, I know Prime was buying into it. It was a great experience for me. But but for the most part, in a nutshell, just if you get if you have a coach that's buy into it, man, you you're lucky. Like we are, and we're blessed here at the Minnesota Vikings. We're all top down. It's a very it's a beautiful collaborative effort. But if not, just try to understand demands of the game, whether it's basketball, soccer, whatever, and try to sell it to them and hit you quick. 
quick hit your hit your points as quick as possible and as as meaningful as possible. Brian, take us home yeah. on this one. All right, I got a bunch of things real quick, but the first one I was laughing because this we just happened the other day. I was listening to the radio and uh, on ESPN. I was listening to a basketball game. They're like, "Oh, LeBron's uh, no, not LeBron. Sorry, um, uh, Al Horford's going to take a game off." And it's like, and it's it's funny how it, the field has changed because it's assumed that he's not going to play in a back to back versus what the guy's going to miss a game for 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 rest. Like that was unheard of. Like growing up, we would never have seen a missed game, but now it's assumed. Oh, it makes sense if you look at the schedule that he's going to take these days and these days off because everyone's ex experienced with it now. So our field has changed a ton just from that as aspect of how we assume things or how we're viewing things. Um, I think the second thing is uh, is the the toughest part of the the thing that we changed a lot is how much we have in with the players, the athletes in the off season. So that is a plus and a minus, right? It's like a, are we spending our time traveling to see them? Or B, are we trying to manage their off-season workloads? Like, you know, is it is it, you have all this technology, but it's like, okay, that's great. We did it all season. Now they're going to do two hours of basketball, four hours of training, and another hour of basketball at night. Like, okay, well, who's telling them not to do that? Well, none of the people that are paying, getting paid to do it during the summertime are telling them not to do it. So that's a quick call for me. Like, hey, uh, no, I know. Yeah, you know, I know he's. Yeah, I got. I saw him dunking. That that was amazing. Yep, yep. Okay. Um, but you know, the, those conversations is like, okay, great. Now can you just take it back a notch? Because at this point in this summertime, we're thinking about this, you know. And so I think the whole off season is such a big component of athlete training, um, and just when they get with their people. Uh, and then I think the other thing is, which has changed a lot for the positive, um, is how how easy knowledge is to find, like good knowledge. Like I got a lot of friends that work in the Premier League that we've we've worked together with. I've got a lot of friends over in Australia, you know, and, and so information is at your fingertips and it might not, I might not have to read it. Like I used to pick up the, the NSCA journal and you know, that magazine thickness is completely different than any magazine you pick up. I pick up a Sports Illustrated. That's not like that journal. That journal is like the dictionary, you know, and you're like, all right, 17 pages of references. Okay. Let me see. All right, let me get through this. And you know, you get like, you get to the first chart and you're like, okay, hold on. Let me figure it. I haven't thought about this in a while. And so like, that's great. And I still look at some of that stuff, but it's much easier if I'm like, yo, Hey, what have you heard about this? You know, I just call some people overseas. Like, what have you heard about this? I know you guys have done that for a little while. Tell me more about the blood occlusion. Like, tell me about that. You know, what, what's your take on it? You know, and so I think that the information that's out there is, is just so much easier to receive and get. Um, now, on this on the other part of that, there's also so much bad information out there. But if you find the right network of people, I think that's been successful for me is just finding the right network of people. Um, and that way, you know, I can just get good information for everyone because I don't know everything. I, I definitely don't preach to my clients and know everything. I don't preach to my athletes and know everything. You know what? Don't know the answer to that? Let me find out. I know someone who does. So I think those couple things are, the things that I think have changed for the, uh, for the good access to information is a big one that kind of came through and what everyone was saying and going back to those basic scientific principles that have been the pillars of our profession for so many years. Uh, technology has given us more access to looking at those every single day. And then it becomes, how do we optimize that process just within the hours of the day and the access we have to our athletes, that's really, um, you guys really pulled all that together. And that's really, the, those are the big issues we face right now. Um, oh, this is awesome. I'm really, uh, 
Really glad we got to have this conversation. Want to close this thing down, give everyone listening in an opportunity to uh, reach out and connect with you. Uh, Brian, what's the best way for uh, our folks to reach you? Uh, Instagram is B D O O B do uh, strength as you know, strength, B do strength. Uh, that's my Instagram handle that I use. I don't use my personal one much anymore. Like John, I'm trying to get off, but uh, at least they can reach me that way. Or my, my email is Brian B R Y A N at optimal fitness, Boston.com. Uh, Marquise, how about you? Okay. You can hit me up on Instagram at keys. That's lowercase Q U I S underscore fit. You can hit me up on now Instagram or you can hit me on my work email. Feel free at Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, Marquise, M-A-R-Q-U-I-S, at vikings.nfl.net. Awesome. Incredible resources here with these guys, Brian and Marquise. Coach Joes, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, I don't have that Instagram. Uh, I'm, 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 I try to avoid that black hole. So one, one stop shop with me though, you can uh, get me at uh, uh, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot Jost at PepsiCo.com. Uh, that's my work uh, email with Gatorade. And uh, yeah, I will uh, definitely get back to you. Always enjoy catching up with you, Coach Jose, uh, when we do these Gatorade Performance Partner episodes. Uh, Brian, this is the uh, second one we've had you on with us. So this was fun and uh, appreciate you jumping in. And uh, Marquise, awesome meeting you, um, taking time during the season. I know you're a, you're a busy man right now, so appreciate you, and uh, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you, guys. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks, Eric. I appreciate you always uh, summing up what I try to say in small words. That's funny. I, I I try to I try to be a really good listener. You know, like the, uh, we always like go back to being in the meeting room as coaches. I'm like, how can I be a really good listener? And that that really helps me when I try to pull it all together. But uh, appreciate that. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone tuning in today, and uh, special thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment, a regular sponsor on this podcast. I'm Coach Boyd Epley. I'm known as the founder of the NSCA, and you just listened to an episode of the NSA Coaching Podcast. To learn more about all the NSA offers, check out nsa.com and join us at an upcoming event this year. I hope to see you there. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.